When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Grappling Bulletin Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Stockton, here as always with Connor Joshin. What's up, guys? How you doing? Man, have an awesome weekend. Lots of jiu-jitsu. Got to do some training. Uh, got to practice some of those techniques I've been seeing flying around at you know the QHA Open, the LA Open, all over the place. More jiu-jitsu still to come. Um, I'm so excited for Pans, man. The, the roster looks stacked top to bottom. We're going to get into all of that mm-hmm. as well as uh, some of the huge events that happened this weekend. This weekend was loaded with jiu-jitsu, right? I mean, oh, we yeah. had Polaris, we had Sogi, we had the LA Open, mm-hmm. the Curitiba Open, uh, AJP London. So much happening in the jiu-jitsu world. All these athletes really getting ready for I mean, really just staying active, right? Which is what we love to see. Yeah, absolutely. And it wasn't just a lot of events. Some of the really big-name athletes were on there. I know one of the ones that I'm excited to get into, like Elizabeth Clay, Fionn Davies, Amy Campo, all these really big names. Uh, so, you know, it's not just uh, – we got jiu-jitsu a lot, right? Flow grappling, this is the home for where you need to be if you're going to watch grappling events. But not only that, we got the you know stars in the house, so super fun. Corey, you said you're working on some moves. You got some good uh, practicing over the weekend. Anything in particular that you're – trying to work into your game you know i'm like i'm really I, i'm for the last month since i've been back since we've been back from london i've been diving so hard into the roger gracie stuff the Hodger gracie stuff mm-hmm. oh <laughs> um, yeah, almost happened again guys <laughs> um and just the the simple simple positioning the stuff that maybe wasn't very explicit mm-hmm. in the techniques that he was showing but was very implicit in the techniques that he was just hammering me with. Yeah. To try and do a, adopt that closed guard, slow pressure passing style. Mm-hmm. Not the easiest thing in the world to practice. Takes a lot of deliberate focus, but that's that's why we drill. That's why we have mats at home in the garage <laughs> working on off hours. Yeah, absolutely. He also said that he's working out. So um, next thing you know, in next week, two weeks from now, if Corey comes back here, just swole as hell. You know, that's what's happening. He's working out. He's going to be bigger than everyone else in the office. He's already shoulder-checking me as he passes in the hallway, <laughs> just bullying everyone. So uh, stay tuned for stay tuned for Swole Corey, right? That's enough of that. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's get into some of the news from the week. Huge news mm-hmm. on Sunday morning that the reigning IBJJF Absolute World Champion, Nicholas Mergali, has officially signed up for PANS. Um, Mergali... Is very vocal about this. He only really <laughs> competes in uh, major tournaments, which mm-hmm. is is great, especially given his victory rate, his submission rate. We'll get into that. But Mergali being back at Pans for his first time since 2017, when Long he time. was a rookie black belt in 2017. Mm-hmm. Uh, what'd you make of this news? Man, it's really exciting to me. I'm always excited to see Marigali back on the IBJJF circuit. It's kind of hard for me to watch some of these majors whenever you don't have like one of those big-name athletes that you know 
runs a division, runs the absolute. He is kind of the guy with the target on his back, and he doesn't end up at, you know, maybe a pants, which is uh, normal. Not everyone competes at every one of these majors, but when he is there, you know, uh, it feels like the storylines uh, mean something just a little bit more. It, it kind of feels pertinent to the to the world championship discussion over who's going to be the most dominant in 2023. Uh, seeing him out there is going to be out in California, I believe. Can't wait, man. Yeah. One of the things that makes Mergali so exciting is, of course, his submission rate oh, yeah. and his desire to win in the most, uh, I guess, beautiful way, right? Mm-hmm. The, in in the true uh, methodology that we like to see in jiu-jitsu. That's mm-hmm. why he's so fan-friendly. That's why people go flock in droves to watch him compete. Whether you love him or hate him, you have to understand that Mergali is out there and he's going to put it online. He's going to try and win via submission or via ridiculously high score, nothing short of dominance. What we're looking at now is his run from Brasileiros last year, 2022, when he submitted every single one of his opponents to win the title. Yeah, he had a lot to say about his submission rate, even on social media, which is one of the things that I love because IBJJF athletes, lots of them, you know, they they are excited to compete. They are, uh, you know, excited to interact with the fans, but not many people do so leading up to the events like Marigali does. He's always down for either a call out or just you know putting his stamp on i have you know i am the biggest baddest in the division in the tournament and he's already been doing that over this weekend yeah he he has looked great in his entire ivjjf career uh from top to bottom and we talked about it in the grappling bulletin article if you want more context more details on mergali's incredible career go read that article it is live on flow grappling now uh but something that stood out to me is just i was surprised to see how much of Mergali's 58 or 57 and 8 career record mm-hmm. has been at uh, his single pans at the multiple world championships he's competed at, at Brasileiros, all of the major tournaments, and very few others. He, you know, he's not one to enter the opens and kind of get his feet wet and t- test around, play, you know, play around a little bit. Mm-hmm. Mergali enters the opens and the, the, excuse me, he enters the absolute division and several different weight categories, honestly, at Pans, at Brasileiros, at Worlds. Just and these majors. He, and he just throws everything out there every time against some of the best in the world. He's beaten so many world champions in his, uh, I believe it's now a three-time world champion mm-hmm. run. Yeah. It just always looks it's unstoppable just like this. Absolutely. And it's not against just any competition. What we just saw there was Felipe Andrew. And Felipe Andrew is one of the most dominant guys on the IBJJF scene. Not only that, but this is a really stark contrast between the two athletes, between one athlete who maybe only does the majors and an athlete that's out there competing at lots of the opens. You know, Felipe Andrew may just show up and surprise you at, you know, like an Austin Open or something like that. So really cool to see, uh, you know, he's still competing with the guys uh, and, and not just competing with them, but dominating the guys that are staying as active as possible. It's kind of surprising to see a guy able to maintain that level of dominance despite maybe not always putting himself in the waters all the time in the competition scene for these opens as often uh, you know like you said he's doing that he's also doing only who's number ones and only adcc so even in the nogi side it's not like he's doing these very small competitions he's only tackling the biggest and the best tournaments super fun to have him back also you know uh, like i had said you know having a guy like nicholas Mary Golly, uh, in these tournaments where you're 
we're we're all looking to see what's going to happen at Worlds. Whenever we're looking at the IBJJF season, who's going to be the next world champion? And having a name like Marigali in at Pans allows us to kind of play with that storyline a little bit going into the tournament. But not only do we get to play with the storyline of a world championship, but we do get to see him go out there and try and just take everyone's head off, man. Yeah, and absolutely. He's, he's proven that he can do that, that he wants to do that. Uh, I want to take kind of a, a high perspective view mm-hmm. on – Mergali's accolades since 2017, when he started his black belt career, uh, 2017, like I mentioned, was the first and only time he competed at PANS. I think he came home with a silver medal at mm-hmm. PANS. And since then, just um, not only has he you know, done well in most absolute divisions, but he has competed across the spectrum of heavyweight categories. He started competing at heavyweight uh, last year, when he won the absolute division, he also competed at super. At Pans this year, he's going to be an ultra heavyweight. We know every time Mergali steps on the mat, he's also looking to accomplish an absolute title, right? So he's coming in at the ultra heavyweight division. He'll be primed, I'm sure, mm-hmm. to conquer the absolute as well. Uh, but if we can just pull up his uh, his record here, I want to take a look at some of the accolades, including yep, his uh, rookie year mm-hmm. black belt title. Uh, we're going to move down the line here. Uh, 2018, Brasileiro's absolute title. He won every one of those matches via submission. In 2019, he came back to Brasileiro's and took double gold, again, 78% submission rate. A 2019, super heavyweight world champion, 75% submission rate. 2022, Brasileiro's super heavyweight champion, all wins via submission. In 2022, he came back to world after that 2021 Kind of mix up where he got double DQ'd after uh, hitting the final in both the weight and absolute championship. He came back to take uh, gold in the absolute in 2022, also taking silver in the weight division. Uh, he had 75% submission rate in the absolute and 100% submission rate up until his loss in 2022 at Super Heavy. In his black belt career, he is 57-8 and eight. Uh, with a 74% submission rate now. Nicholas Mergali, as you mentioned, was right in on this post to remind us that even though it's a 74% submission rate, 92% submission rate in 2022. So, of course, he's he's climbing. He says that he's trying to kind of correct some of those stats and what he, I think, what I, he think I said, what, what he said, I think, mm-hmm. was an embarrassing 74% submission rate. Um, not to mention, Mergali has never been submitted as a black belt. In gi, no gi, in any of the major tournaments, any of the big styles, he has not been submitted anywhere at black belt. And I love that mentality. That is definitely shades of Gordon Ryan kind of <laughs> looking at what otherwise would seem as a super successful submission rate and going, that's nothing. That's so sad. I'll make it better. And he even said the same thing about his 2022 submission rate. I, I just looked <laughs> at his story recently and he, he said, oh, 90% submission rate, 92% <laughs> submission rate in 2022. I'll do better, guys. I'm sorry. So, you know, I, I love that. And I think that makes uh, makes the fit over at Henzo Gracie under Donna Hare and with Gordon, even uh, just even a better fit. Now, I am really interested because, you know, John Donahue, obviously he is, you know, one of the most uh, decorated sports in, in the world or decorated coaches in the sport. Um, but he doesn't, you know, necessarily have a huge stable of gi-specific athletes or a huge stable of uh, gi accolades. But, um, you know, one of the things Marigali has been super complimentary of is uh, Donahue's gi game. Isn't that right? Yeah, and, and John Donahue, of course, uh, a long-time 
gi coach. Mm-hmm. We've seen more, you're right, of his accolades as a coach in the no-gi realm with you know guys like Gordon Ryan, Gary Tony, Jack Carlo Bedoni. The list mm-hmm. goes on. Uh, but, of course, John Donner has released several very well put together instructionals in the gi. He's not just a student of no gi grappling. He's a student of martial arts. Yep. Um, and I think that comes first and foremost through in his teaching. Um, but great to see that operate at the highest level on a stage like, uh, like last year's world championships where John was in, uh, Nicholas's corner, or mm-hmm. I'm sure this year's pan championships, John will probably be in Nicholas's corner again, watching the, um, the coach, athlete relationship between john and nicholas in the gi and in no gi is a really interesting dynamic because Mergali, by most standards has come to john donher as a finished product but of mm-hmm. course john is looking to help Mergali continue to elevate and i think doing a phenomenal job absolutely uh, nicholas Mergali, not the only world champion registered for pans at uh for pans this year rather mm-hmm there are in total 17 world champions registered for pans from the men's rooster weight to the men's ultra heavy, the women's rooster weight to the women's super heavy. It is a stacked, stacked event. I want to get into some of those names um, and then take a look at some of the divisions that these high-level athletes live in for this tournament in Florida, oh, yeah. uh, which kicks off, by the way, March 21st through 26th. The Black Belts take them at the 25th. Um, the, those who have to qualify to compete in the final rounds, mm-hmm. the final rounds start on the 26th on Sunday. Yeah, absolutely. And if you're curious how you can follow along, not only are you going to be able to watch all the you know all the matches on Flow, but also we'll have live updates articles. There'll be live previews on uh, YouTube and Facebook whenever we can. So make sure you know. Uh, Everyone's got work. This is a long tournament. You know, you may not be able to tune in all the time, but stay tuned to all the different ways that you can catch up, whether that's on the Instagram or that's following along with Corey, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're we're going to be uh, live on the ground following all of your favorite athletes, making sure you know what to look for, what to watch for, so that you are tuned into the most important news, the most exciting matches, the most uh, surprising results of the event. Let's kick it into mm-hmm. uh, some of these divisions or some of these, these champions, starting with the Roosterweight, the world champion, Talison Soares, coming back to Roosterweight, fresh off of a phenomenal performance at Euros. Uh, his new teammate, Diogo Pato, Diogo, uh, Diego Pato, Diego Oliveira, who they've been very close friends for a long time, but now they are again flying the same flag. The AOJ banner will be in at light featherweight, as will Pato's former teammate, from Dream Art, Mayhem Alves, uh, down to Light Feather after spending a couple of months toying around with Feather, with Lightweight. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he is a Light Featherweight world champion. He will be returning to Light Featherweight for this event. Uh, at Featherweight, the Hokage, Fabricio Andre, uh, coming in a really deep, really stacked division. But Fabricio, I think the only world champion, will be the top seed and the favorite mm-hmm. to win, especially following his uh, gold medal performance at Euros. James Milho Taylor, up to lightweight. He won his world title in 2019, 2018 mm-hmm. at mm-hmm. featherweight. Uh, now moving up to lightweight where I think he has a really interesting shot. He's uh, kind of not a, as much a veteran as some of the veterans in that division, but he is not as much a newcomer as many of the newcomers in that division. So really playing the middle of the pack. Um, Connor, who else we got? Tynan. 
Scalpra. He has made his stamp on the middleweight division. He is obviously the world champion, and he's returning. He's going to try and make this IBJJF season another run at a world champion. He's he's doing it again here at Pans. Super fun to see. Uh, we had talked about previously maybe, uh, you know, people potentially clearing out of that division. Um, and, you know, Tynan's going to have to make another run for it. So super exciting. On top of that, we have Gustavo Batista. Um, he is one of the most pressure-heavy athletes you can see. Always hard uh, to see, you know, you one of your favorite athletes have him maybe early in the in the rounds because he can put a stop to just about anyone. Not only that, we got Felipe Andrew, who is not only a world champion, but one of the most active competitors on earth. Eric Muniz, and then Nicholas Marigali. Eric Muniz, obviously uh, part of the Muniz brothers, one of, um, you know, I think 2021 and 2022's kind of one of those breakout stars that really put their name uh, on the map. And then Nicholas Marigali is Nicholas Marigali. Absolutely. Uh, real quick, I want to run down the additional, the, the women's world champions that are also coming to pans. Maisa Bastos, who won the Grand Slam last year. Mm-hmm. Let's not forget Maisa Bastos, one of the best in the business, right? She won Worlds, Pans, Brasileros, and Europeans last year. She won Europeans earlier this year. Mm-hmm. So she's looking to keep that medal streak alive, uh, as is Anna Rodriguez, who I believe won everything except for Europeans last year uh, at Light Featherweight. Maisa was at Rooster. Um, at Light Featherweight, uh, A-Rod bumping up now to Featherweight, uh, where she wants to challenge herself a little bit more, mm-hmm. going up against the bigger opponents. There she might face, and I want to dive into this a little bit later, but Fionn Davis, the lightweight world champion who has bumped down to featherweight. So that one really interests me. I want to pre- preview the rest of that bracket a little bit later on. Luisa Montero, the multiple-time world champion in a lightweight. Melissa Cueto, the heavyweight world champion, down to medium heavy. Larissa Diaz, last year's heavyweight world champion, also at heavy. And then, of course, Gabby Bassanya, who... I don't want to get this wrong. I think has won the last 13 major titles in a row, including the absolute. Yeah. Um, but Gabby Pisania, double Grand Slam last year. I think she came close to a double Grand Slam the year before that. Looking to the double Grand Slam again this year. Already gotten the ball rolling at Euros where she took double gold. And uh, Pans is the next step here. She's already registered for Brasileros. I'm sure the moment Worlds opens up, she'll be registered for Worlds as well. But Gabby Pisania just looking to add to that mountain of IBJJF major gold medals. Uh, so like we said, stacked roster mm-hmm. here at Pans uh, at the end of this month. Uh, the, the black belts are really – this is one of my favorite black belt rosters in mm-hmm. the last couple of majors, I think since Worlds uh, 20, uh, 2022. It, this is as deep a roster for a world championships as you w- would see at a world championships. And correct me if I'm wrong, I believe the registration's at, what, like 90% plus Registration capacity? officially closed this morning. Oh, man. So not only are we getting a stacked – bracket of just you know highly decorated athletes but they're going to be filled out with you know black belts that are also looking to snipe a name off of the scoreboard and you know put theirs in its place so if you're looking for fun storylines if you're looking for uh, good jujitsu that may you know help tell the story of 2023 for the sport this may be a great place to start so we talked about we just took a look at who are what I would imagine are the favorites in most of those divisions, right? Mm -hmm. They'll be the number one seeds coming in as world champions or those who are splitting a division will most likely be the one and two seeds. Mm -hmm. With that being said, I want to get into what's your favorite division or maybe your favorite two or three divisions coming to pants. 
man, there's a lot of good ones, right? So first off, I think uh, I'm going to let you handle Light Feather, right? Because you've been a fan of Light Feather, but I do just want to call out that we got Diogo Hayes coming in at Light Feather. Now, obviously, he's in that same weight class with two world champions, Maram and Diego Pato, but... He's not in there with Fabricio. Fabricio is up a weight class this time. So, you know, if Diogo, you know, is able to, to um, you know, capture enough victories to make his way through to, uh, you know, the world championship stage, he doesn't have to close out, which is nice to see. Um, additionally, I'm a big fan of the medium heavyweight division. In the medium heavyweight division, we have Ronaldo Jr., Elder Cruz, Gustavo Batista, who I mentioned earlier, Jansen Gomez, uh, Wanderson Ferreira, who is a 2023 brown belt double gold at Euros, um, Francisco Lowe, who I know you've been really big on, Sebastian Rodriguez, just an absolutely jam-packed bracket. Um, so, you know, medium heavy has got to be one that you have on your radar uh, if you're a fan. On top of that, you know, we got some real good stuff going on, just uh, a weight class away over at the heavyweight. You know, you have your Felipe Andrews, obviously. Felipe Andrews is going to be at all of these majors. Uh, you have Adam Wardzinski and Patrick Gaggio and De- Devontae Johnson. And Andre Porfirio. On top of that, we have Roberto Jimenez, which kind of stood out to me. Roberto, you know, in 2022, 2023, we've seen him kind of move around quite a few weight classes. Um, you know, at 2022 Worlds, he was at 88 kgs, which is about 195 pounds. Uh, at 2022 ADCC, he was at 77 <laughs> kgs, which is about 170 pounds. And now he's moved up to 94 kg, which is 208 about so he has a lot of room to flex his weight which is cool uh, i'm curious how he's going to come in if he's going to be a smaller guy in the weight class though uh, because of kind of how he flexes up and down from here but i don't know what what about you what are you excited for yeah, i just want to kind of add to that quickly roberto's uh, historically a weight bender right he goes from <laughs> the weight bender's so good he goes from like 77 kilos all the way up to i've seen him compete at 99 kilos basically um, so all over the all over the place, he loves to enter the absolute division. So seeing Roberto come in at heavy, I think is a good sign mm-hmm. of what he plans to do to start the weekend, right? With yeah. the absolute division. Wow. Um, so there's a good sign that we could see Roberto at absolute, and just based on the way he's built, based on his style, based on the fact that he might you know be entering heavy, but kind of closer to lightweight or middleweight, yeah. you can expect just some wild thrown yeah. out of nowhere. <laughs> uh, we brought this up at the um, maybe one of the first podcasts of the year, but if you have any doubt as to what Roberto looks like in the gi of late, go back and watch his match with Jansen Gomez from mm-hmm. the London Open. Just a firefight. Now, Jansen's one to have that match with, right? Those two guys are just going to kind of unload on each other. But Roberto, even though maybe more mo- more recently known for his no-gi pedigree, has one of the most exciting and entertaining and open gi games of anybody in any division. Absolutely. Uh, as you mentioned... I do want to jump to light featherweight division. It is stacked. You mentioned the two world champions, Mayra Malvez and Diego Batista uh, Pato. Two of the the favorite, let's call them the favorites in the division, right? Two reigning, the reigning and the former world champion. But, of course, Diogo Hayes, mm-hmm. uh, the baby shark, mm-hmm. who surprisingly has not won a black belt major IBJJF world title in his career. Surprising because, of course, ADCC world champion, uh, AJP world champion. He looked great at the Curitiba Open. We'll talk about that a little bit more. But he won that title. 
I think right now is the era of Diogo Hayes. I think Diogo is at the peak of his game. So even though Mayram and Hata will be his biggest tests, I think Diogo is in the best form he can possibly be since the last time he saw these guys. Mm-hmm. Um, now, that's not to say that he is a lock to beat them. I think those are two of the toughest tests in this division, but not the only tests in this division. There's also Malachi Edmund. Um, who just recently beat Pato mm-hmm. in the European finals, right? So Malachi, another test there. This division's loaded. I mean, we can call out a ton of names. Zach Kaina also going to be uh, a, a test here. He's a rookie, a little bit of a wild card. But the list goes on. I also want to shout out Mario Alvarado, uh, who is also a rookie black belt, uh, took gold at Pans last year as a brown belt. Um, so there are a couple wild cards, the two world champions, and then, uh, the baby shark, mm. who I think is is really gonna bring some attention. Speaking of featherweight divisions, I know we just talked about light featherweight here, but we talked a little bit about the women's featherweight division. I want to bump up there and talk about one particular matchup, but a couple of other interesting athletes that can shake things up there. Um, how cool would it be to see A Rod versus Fion? Ooh, man, that's not something I would have guessed. You, uh, that's not on my bingo card, I guess yeah. I should say, for, for most of these majors. Fionn, uh, Fionn won the world at lightweight in 2022. A-Rod won light feather in 2022. They're going to meet in the middle mm-hmm. at featherweight. So A-Rod bumping up, Fionn cutting down. I love this matchup. Uh, A-Rod, of course, mostly a passer. You can say the same for Fionn, mostly a passer. She's got... I'd say a little bit better takedowns. A-Rod, when she is playing off her back, a little bit better known for her guard. But really, anything could happen in this match. Something that you don't think of very often when you think of great key matchups. is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think this one for sure jumps out as a potential for match of the year. Really interesting, really compelling match. I think a lot to be gleaned about both of these athletes' games as far as what goes down in this matchup. I, I have no way of predicting how this goes yeah and, and Fion is one of those athletes when she's at the top of her game she's on the top of the world and then sometimes that's not the case so you know even predicting how that match goes if you had it perfectly figured out matchup style wise it really just depends on like how do you show up the day of um that's going to be something i'm definitely watching for also want to call out the women's lightweight division because for me this division pretty wide open mm-hmm. uh margo Ciccarelli, emily fernandez Larissa Martins, Janina uh, Libre, Libre, excuse me, and Maria Claudia. Now, I think of those names, Janina is the most well recognized after her back-to-back performances at the Flow Grappling IBJJF GPs. Oh, excuse me, Luisa Montero. How did I miss that name? Luisa Montero in the mix as well, the uh, most decorated of the bunch. Uh, but don't sleep on people like Maria Claudia. Maria Claudia won world at brown belt last year teammate of gabriele bassania um really really tough game really durable guard i think this division for sure going to be um maybe a lot of questions marks if as a betting man i could imagine louisa versus Janina in the final mm-hmm. which would be a rematch from the first gp in october with Janina won on her way to the title but louisa you can't bet against her on any day she's done uh, she's had matchups in just about every division you can imagine, and she's won almost all of them. 
Yeah, and it, I think what'll be really interesting about that is because of John Aina's success at the Grand Prix, everyone's kind of looking at her as a favorite. But I think the formats are going to be uh, different enough, you know, to put some question marks there. The, you know, does John Aina is she able to replicate that same kind of success uh, when maybe she'll have more matches? When maybe you know it, it, this is going to be spread out over you know a day or two rather than just like uh, you know getting it over in a two-hour kind of period and. You know, when you're talking about competitions, it's not so much just what happens on the mat, but also the prep time and, you know, kind of the headspace you're in and, and where you're at and how you're competing. So I think that's a major enough change that even under the same rule set, you know, this Luisa Montero match could go dramatically different than the last time. We just don't really know. Yeah, the, just all of the divisions. I mean, we could go through every single one of these fans' mm -hmm. divisions at length. I'm sure we will be doing that in written content, in mm -hmm. articles in the next couple of days because there's just so many compelling, uh, interesting stories that between the athletes, the athlete rivalries, mm -hmm. the whole divisions, the teams. So much um, makes up PANS besides just this tournament, yeah. right? Besides just the matches. All of these athletes have really incredible stories. We'll be following them and kind of sharing them for the next couple of weeks until the black belts take the mat at PANS. Of course, uh, I want to shout out Kolobate also making not his brown belt debut, but his brown belt major debut mm -hmm. after winning Euros. So tune in for Kolobate. I imagine he'll be taking them out either Thursday or Friday, the 20, what would be, 23rd or 24th. Mm -hmm. um, so stay tuned for all of that. We will keep you covered. In the meantime, I think we should get into some of the news from last week. Which there was a lot of news <laughs> last week. A lot of week. news last week. Uh, let's start with what I think is the biggest piece of news. We have to cover. We knew... Coming out of Nogi World last year, that something would happen, right? Yep. Because there was that weird circumstance where two of the podiums had no first place, no second place, right? Yep. The absolute division, first and second place were abdicated. No final took place in the heavyweight division, first and second place. No athlete uh, joined, no athlete competed in the final. So there were two bronze medalists in the absolute division two bronze medalists in the heavyweight division, and nothing else there. Yeah, which is a unique thing to jiu-jitsu. I don't know if there's any other sport in the world where you can have a mystery podium mm. at the end of an event, and there's really nothing to be learned or garnered from it until months later, but when we do, it does kind of explode into the news that we found out recently. And so now we know what came of that, mm -hmm. right? Five athletes have been suspended for doping violations by USADA, um, all five athletes who received their uh, their suspensions are taking three-year suspensions um, as a result of testing on or after Nogi Worlds. Now, mm -hmm. it was not all four of the athletes who uh, did not attend the who did not attend the finals, nor was it um, just those athletes who did not attend the finals. Um, let's start with uh, Roberto Abreu, Cyborg, mm -hmm. Cyborg. Uh, skipped the absolute division after winning the ultra heavyweight division. Uh, he tested positive for PEDs for illegal substances. Will be suspended for three years now. Cyborg, 42 years old at the time of the competition, on his way to 43. So a three-year ban puts him at 45, 46 by the time he returns. Yeah, and it, if he returns, you know, if, if he does return, you're going to have the question, like, what kind of shape are you in? You know, like, uh, are you going to be doing masters or are you going right back into the adult adult division? But this is probably the biggest name on the list of just, like, as far as, uh, you know, being most recognizable uh 
but man, it's it's unfortunate to see. I guess you say yeah, most decorated for sure of the names. Um, Cyborg also very vocal about his interpretation of the the presence of USADA there right now. Mm-hmm. IBJJF is a signatory of USADA. They are in a contract with USADA, and USADA has not just the right but the duty to mm-hmm. uh, to test at Worlds and at Nogi Worlds. And IBJJF has a, not just a right but a responsibility to enforce the sanctions levied by USADA. Mm-hmm. So as critical as he may be, that those are the rules. The, every athlete signs a contract to compete. That's the way it is. I don't want to elaborate too much on that or go too deep into that. However, um, Cyborg, of course, not the only athlete who received suspension. Uh, Henrique Sacconi, who was supposed to be his opponent in the in the absolute final. Sacconi won the super heavyweight division. Uh, since been stripped of that. Actually, they haven't officially stripped anybody yet. Um, on the results page, I'm sure those notifications have already been sent out. But that but, is standard operating procedure. Correct. Um, and it's actually part of the part of the fine as announced by USADA in mm-hmm. their release is that these athletes have been stripped. Anyway, Sakoni has been stripped of the super heavyweight title. That was his first IBJJF major, his second IBJJF major title. He had also won Nogi Pans. Um, but Sakoni, a younger athlete, also taking a three-year suspension, but... Again, as we said, a major setback. You know, for somebody like Cyborg, who is 42-43, that puts you at 45-46 on your return. But even an athlete like Sakone, who I don't know his, his exact age, but he's in his 20s, mm-hmm. a three-year setback, you know, three years is the difference between a generation of jiu-jitsu athletes. Yeah, absolutely. And not only that, it, it comes down to how recognizable you are, right? In, in three years, uh, you know, these athletes are having to leverage their brands, not just for – um, you know, the fans and whatnot, but to get on these events and, and having a, something like this be a little bit of a maybe a stain on the legacy is hard to see. Uh, let's jump on to the next one. Wagner Rocha uh, skipped the heavyweight final where he was supposed to compete against Andre Porfirio. Porfirio also skipped. Uh, Wagner Rocha refused to submit a sample to USADA, but accepted the three-year fine that comes with the three-year penalty, the three-year mm-hmm. suspension that comes with that. Um, so Wagner... In a similar boat as Cyborg, uh, 40 or nearly 40 years old, so his return he'll be around 43. Yep. It's a a big setback for Wagner. Um, It is what it is. Interesting to note, however, that Porfirio, who also skipped, was not fined. I don't know. There was no information in the release, nor will there be, Mm -hmm. uh, as far as whether Porfirio was tested, whether he wasn't. But one way or the other, Porfirio is still eligible to compete and is actually registered to compete at PANS in the next week. And it also interesting to note, Porfirio has recently left Fight Sports, which are two of the major you know names of this uh, in this kind of USADA release. Yeah, don't want to speculate too much about that because I just don't know the details. Um, but two more athletes that were suspended, Jonathan Gracie of Atos, who won the middleweight division, Gracie in a similar situation to Sacconi, right? He's a young athlete. He's in his earlier mid-20s, but um, a three-year setback is a notable setback. This was Gracie's first world title, for his first major title. Mm-hmm. Um, so to be stripped of that title and then to eat three years of inactivity on top of that is a big setback for athletes like this. Yeah, absolutely. And I know there was some conversation online because, 
Jonathan obviously was on the last who's number one. Um, you know, and anytime you have this kind of uh, news break, you're going to have people uh, casting doubt on any of your victories, right? And so, you know, after such a performance on who's number one where you look very dominant, very strong, there was kind of some chirping back and forth about, you know, maybe how much this kind of uh, PED use may have affected that uh, victory as well. Last one here, Igor Feliz, the silver medalist in the lightweight division, uh, was given a three-year ban for testing that happened uh, immediately after the event. Um, also, a young athlete of rookie, not a rookie black belt, but an early black belt, maybe mm-hmm. two years into his black belt career, he won, I believe he was awarded his black belt at the end of 2020. So just a couple years into his black belt career, young athlete, I think he's 22, 23. And again, another one of these athletes who this early in your career, a three-year setback is a big hurdle. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, this is just endemic of uh, a larger question in jiu-jitsu around PED use. I don't think anyone has uh, any solutions or, you know, answers necessarily. I, I did love to see the conversation kind of sprout up online. We saw Craig Jones give his two cents on it in his own YouTube video. It was great to see him dressed up as Dr. Jones, you know <laughs> what I mean? Uh, but, yeah, a lot of speculation also about, you know, the future athletes maybe catching some flack from a, a similar problem. So I think we all should probably probably just keep our eyes on the news for, you know, any more drops like this or, uh, you know, I I think this could really affect the IBJJF landscape and which athletes we see competing under that banner. For sure. Um, I do want to call out, though, that this changes the results. It hasn't officially happened yet, but if we're following the precedent of the IBJJF, this is going to change what happens on at least three of those podiums, right? Victor Hugo will become the ultra heavyweight champion in 2022. Um, Felipe Trovo will become the super heavyweight champion of 2022. And Sebastian Rodriguez will become the lightweight, excuse me, the middleweight champion of 2022. Mm-hmm. Um, so a couple of now multiple-time champions. Victor Hugo now a multiple-time world champion. Actually, it remains the case. He just adds another medal to his collection. Mm-hmm. Felipe Trovo, a first-time world champion. And Sebastian Rodriguez may become a first-time world champion here. Mm-hmm. Um Interesting to note that he would be the first ever um, world champion from Costa Rica. Yeah. Just uh, a cool little little factoid there. There you go. It, it is unfortunate, though, because some of these athletes, you know, if you're going to be looking at their records at any point, it feels like there's going to have to be an asterisk by some of these, uh, you know, world championships because at least for the athletes, I know these competitors, that's not how you want your first world championship you know, to be handed to you. Uh, obviously, they fought their way through the bracket. They earned their spot in the finals. And if your opponent is not on a, a fair playing field, all hats off to you. You know, you, you deserve the, the world championship more than anyone else. But, you know, that can't be a great feeling knowing that, you know, that asterisk kind of has to stay on your on your record. I was watching a Daniel Cormier uh, interview recently, and he said something similar about his John Jones. He doesn't think that it would have changed the result of between him and John Jones if uh, you know Jones maybe hadn't popped for PED use. However, that that question mark, that asterisk, is something that he's going to kind of have to carry for a while. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, not a simple situation, right? Mm-hmm. It's very complex, not just for the athletes who were suspended, but for the athletes who step in place on the podium, right? It's mm-hmm. it's not a simple, hey, you're a champion now. There's a little bit more complexity to it because you're you're right. There is that seed of doubt or there are however many emotions. I don't want to put words or feelings into athletes' mm-hmm. mouths and minds, but um, more news will come of that when we get the official results update. Uh, I'm hoping to hear from some of those athletes on 
exactly how they react to a situation like that. Uh, but in the meantime, let's move on to more light-spirited news, let's call it. Let's do it. Um, here's one that caught me very off guard, Kron Gracie. Returning to the UFC after several years off. Kron's Cron, mm-hmm. last match, I believe, was what was it, 2019? Yeah, something like that. So Kron will be back in the octagon uh, in May, on May 6th, in Newark, New Jersey. Um, yeah, it's going to be a, a really interesting test for Kron Gracie, who had been undefeated up until the last time he fought which was his first loss against Cub Swanson. Yeah, I, I'm always a fan of seeing more jiu-jitsu specialists going out there and putting their hand in the MMA ring, not just in the MMA ring, but on the UFC stage. It's really good. You know, we have Kron Gracie. You know, you got your Brian Ortega's. Anyone that I can watch that's going to, I know, is going to uh, be shooting for a way to put our martial art on the map on the largest stage possible. Always a fan. Glad Kron's getting back in there. Kron's opponent is Charles Jordan, who is 13-6-1. This will be a featherweight matchup. Kron, by the way, I um, I mentioned he's 5-1, hasn't fought since his last match, which was his first loss. In his first five victories, each of them came via submission. So um, exactly who we want to be representing jiu-jitsu out there as a as a jiu-jitsu purist, right? Mm-hmm. As a lover of jiu-jitsu who wants to see jiu-jitsu well represented in the UFC, Crone Gracie is the type of athlete to kind of be that be that hero for us, right? <laughs> Go yeah. out there, put submission wrestling, submission grappling on display in the way he knows how, of course, the son of Hicks and Gracie, mm-hmm. who better to do it? Yeah, it does It does give me a little bit of concern whenever I see jiu-jitsu guys go out there, though, only because I know there almost seems to be like a chip on the shoulder sometimes. Mm-hmm. I think I saw it with Brian Ortega. He has a very stand-and-bang style when he just wanted to be like, <laughs> no, grab the guy, take him down, and end the fight so I don't have to see you get beat up. Um, you know, So hopefully hopefully, Kron go out there, just like his first five wins, go out there and just get it done like you're seeing on the screen. Maybe we'll get a jumping, flying yeah. or something crazy like that. That. And, and like I said, I was shocked to see him back because, you know, Kron's um, entrance into the UFC was really well received. I think mm-hmm. because of this, the story of, you know, the Gracie family story, of course, is a legendary story. But um, Kron is so closely attached to it because he's Hickson's son, mm-hmm. right? And so because of all of the um, the energy, the hype surrounding exactly where he is in the family tree and I think how good he was in competing at ADCC, competing in the IBJJF, he had this aura about him when he entered the UFC in 2019. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, he went, I think, one and one on the UFC mm-hmm. and then kind of disappeared for a couple of years. Yeah. So to finally have him back feels like it came out of left field, but it was a really um, fortunate surprise. Yeah, yeah. Super fun to see. Kron, you got the jiu-jitsu world at your back. Go out there and get it done, my brother. That's it for the news of the week. Uh, but let's talk about some of the action that happened this weekend mm-hmm. uh, during a couple of phenomenal events. I want to start with one that happened right here on Flow Grappling, talking about Sogi Winter Wars, uh, which included uh, a uh, excuse me, welterweight uh, showdown for the number one contender spot, as well as uh, a middleweight Grand Prix and a heavyweight title super fight. I want to kick it off with the middleweight Grand Prix where... Enrique, uh, Enrique Galarza looked absolutely phenomenal. Uh, Galarza, a, a longtime competitor out there on the East Coast, on the New York, New Jersey scene, went out and submitted all three of his opponents with three different submissions. Really looked 
just dominant. Um, he ended up catching an arm bar in his first match. And then uh, here we've got this. I believe this is the match with the... Oh, this is the Estima Lock. Mm -hmm. Watch that foot come over. Galarza, and this is the final here against Felipe Caesar of Unity. And Galarza just waiting for his opportunity, catches this Estima Lock to seal the deal, wins the Sogi middleweight title. Just anytime somebody can go out into an EBI rules format and submit all three opponents in regulation. Yeah. I've got so much appreciation for that because. You know, there's there's submitting every opponent, right? But doing half of them or three of them in overtime, and then there's getting the job done before overtime is required. And there's just so much more to be said of that. I appreciate that so much more as a fan when I see it. Mm -hmm. And it's not just getting it done in regulation, which is impressive to see. But because of the rule set, um, especially you know if you're maybe uh, the favorite or your opponent's a little bit more concerned with it, there is a little bit of an incentive for your opponent to maybe let it last till overtime, right? So not only is it impressive because you're getting it done in the time, but you're getting it done in, in regulation time period when your your opponent is incentivized purely for defense oftentimes. So, you know, I think it just adds another layer of difficulty. Uh, you know, so hats off to Enrique. I want to take one more look at an Enrique submission here from the semifinal against Nick Domijoni. Uh, really... Nice mounted guillotine. Let's let's roll this. He sets it up off of this. Uh, I think, if I remember correctly, he used the darts to get to the attack position, then started just progressing into this really nice high elbow guillotine from the mount. Have you seen much of Enrique before? Is this uh, is this kind of one of his uh, times of putting himself on the map here? So Enrique was around a lot when I uh, was competing on some of the smaller stages in the east coast um, but he was always you know very like toward the headline of all of those shows always winning some of those like local tournaments things like that but i would say just off off the top of my head this is probably enrique's biggest performance to date love to see it and like you said coming over looks like he's trying to yeah i got that anaconda transition i, I got in trouble once for yeah, mixing no, up this is an anaconda, anaconda. you're right which I will absolutely blame Corey for. Uh, yeah. We all learned something that day. We all though. learned something that day. Luckily, we got to do it to all, you know, 800,000 Instagram <laughs> followers. Uh, but, man, really fun to see, uh, you know, Sogi and, um, you know, all the events going Look down at that on high flow. elbow transition right to the middle. Oh, man. Not even in there. Still, still working past that quarter guard with the. F oh, man. Beautiful. Still having the foot trap. Doesn't stop him from uh, f getting that finish on the guillotine. Love to see it. What else do we have from uh, Sogi? Two more results I want to call out. I think we have one right here. Uh, yeah, Keith Krikorian uh, jumped up what I'd imagine is a ton of weight. I don't know what Keith walks around at, but he competed at ADCC in the 66-kilogram uh, division, 145. We've seen him compete at 145, 155. This was a 170-pound match for the number one, contender, uh, number one contender spot against Andrew Solano, who was the reigning number one contender uh, in Sogi. Keith just, man, the, his back-take mechanics are incredible, and his relentlessness against a larger opponent in Andrew Solano. Uh, Keith did a great job of getting to the back, 
Forget the fact the chairs are here. The chairs will move for me. I'm securing this <laughs> rear naked choke. Locks it up. No hooks in. Mm-hmm. But that was all she wrote. Keith now in the number one contender spot. He will take on, at 170 pounds, Kenta Iwamoto on their March 6th card at Shogi. So that, for me, is a great matchup. Um, a uh, uh, Australia and, and Asia trials winner in Kenta versus a multiple-time uh U.S. trials winner, East Coast, West Coast trials winner in Keith Krikorian. Really excited to see what that looks like That's a fun. couple of months away from now. Um, and one more I want to shout out. We don't have a clip for this, but the adult slayer, Patrick Goley, came back, defended his title at Sogi against Alex Nemeth. Um, Pat, normally a leg locker, really well-known, maybe notorious for his leg lock uh, ability, his leg oh. lock tenacity. Yeah, I don't know. Um, He's obviously very good at it, but I don't think it's him getting leg locks that really makes him, uh, you know, maybe notorious. Maybe it's how he takes the leg off of the rest of the, the, the body uh, is probably more close, <laughs> uh, closely aligned. But a shout-out to him. He did not go back to the uh, go back to the well for his win. So mm-hmm. he went to overtime, but not before he showed off a lot of his great standing game, his wrestling. So mm-hmm. really impressed to see that he's, of course, he's still developing, right? He's just 16 years old, but developing oh into developing into a real threat. So more to come, hopefully, from the Adult Slayer soon. In the meantime, more to recap. Let's jump next to Polaris. Ooh, Polaris, which was on UFC Fight Pass this weekend out in England. It was not in London. It was in Dortmund, I think. Mm-hmm. Um Looked, yeah, I, let's start with Liz Clay. Man, you got to love to see Liz Clay back on the scene in a big way. She came in huge in 2020, 2021 uh, on the fight to win and who's number one scene, taking a bunch of big names. But then it seemed like her momentum had maybe slowed a little bit in 2022. She'd go to the you know ADCCs and the IBJJFs, uh, and while she was making it towards the end of the brackets, uh, you know it didn't really seem like she was able to uh, secure the victories when maybe it mattered to get on the the top spot on the podiums. But seeing her come out and uh, you know do so well, she took out two huge names. One, Theon Davies. ADCC champion got the submission with a toehold. Not something I'd expect. On top of that, in the finals, then she goes on to beat another 2022 ADCC champion by points, Amy Campo. Now, if you know anything about Elizabeth Clay's game, she is a, this bottom game is so dangerous. But to win a points victory over someone like Amy Campo, who's so good at securing, you know, the position and making sure that she's up on the scoreboard, that's super impressive here. Yeah, and and this is maybe. A little bit of speculation, but also coming from interviews and conversations I've had with Elizabeth that, you know, she was really well known for her leg locks at the end of her brown belt career, at the beginning of her black belt career. She was known as she was labeled a leg locker, Mm -hmm. right? And while that is true that her leg locks are often some of her biggest threats, I think that um, people forgot maybe how good her wrestling is, how good her takedown game is, how good her back control, her guillotine, like how versatile her game is. And I think, um, for one reason or another, she wasn't able to show that off. Now, whether she was she had tunnel vision in the leg lock game, or whether her opponents were making leg locks accessible and then taking them away, doesn't matter. Ultimately, I think being stuck in that battle in the leg battle mm-hmm. kind of hindered her. Now she still won Nogi Pans and Nogi Worlds in 2021. Still won Nogi Pans and Nogi Worlds in 2022. But especially in 2022, I think one thing we saw was that. Liz got to show off a lot more of her 
non-leg lock game, mm-hmm. right? At Nogi Pans, she put on a dominant display sweep to pass the back control, rode the back, got the submission. She did the same at Nogi Worlds for almost all of her opponents until she meet until she met Amy Campo. Mm-hmm. And Amy Campo, by the way, up until Nogi Worlds last year, was 3-0 and against Liz Clay. Mm-hmm. Liz Clay won that match in the final. She went on to beat her again at Polaris. Um, Liz Clay is gaining some momentum, and I think, you know, she took on this role of kind of breakthrough athlete or, like, rising star in 2020, 2021. And I think a lot of people said, okay, that's Liz Clay. She's yeah. the leg locker. She's that athlete who goes in, goes for submission. If it doesn't work out, she loses on points. That's it. But she's 22 years old. She is still developing, and mm-hmm. she's proving she's proved here at Polaris that she is developing quickly and becoming more and more dangerous in more and more elements of her game. So her first match against uh, Joanna Deniva. Joanna, by the way, huge credit to her. Incredibly durable. I don't know if you saw all of that match, but Liz Clay tried every submission known to man <laughs> in that match. And Joanna staved off almost all of them. Liz eventually caught a rear mount triangle arm lock, mm-hmm. um, finished that one, but not before some wicked Gogo Plata, some wicked Mono Plata, just throwing the kitchen sink at Joanna. Uh, eventually finished that. Turned that around, finished that uh, toe hold, toe hold on Fion, mm-hmm. which awesome submission against somebody who is so rarely submitted, so rarely in a bad position. Mm-hmm. Um, a win over Fion is a great feather in Elizabeth's cap. And then, of course, as we mentioned, that second win over her rival, Amy Campo, um, they've now met five times at Black Belt. Amy is three and two, but they've met several times at Color Belt as well. So that rival is, rivalry is strong and just continually building. Oh, yeah. And now... Elizabeth Clay is $20,000 richer, <laughs> which makes her 100 times richer than I am. Uh, great, you know, great to see it. I love to see these athletes getting paid. Yep, yep. $20 in the bank account. So, nice. Liz Clay, come up off it if you got some. But love to see it. Uh, you know, super exciting. And, and love to see her kicking back off momentum in full swing for the beginning of 2023. A couple of honorable mentions mm-hmm. uh, for the results at Polaris. Uh, go back if you are a subscriber to fight pass and watch the brianna st marie versus maggie grandotti match uh brianna with some really cool kimura skills uh, the setup was really nice the way she isolated the shoulder she nearly tore what what looked like nearly tore maggie's arm straight off mm-hmm. maggie defended it well showed off her flexibility showed off her craftiness but eventually um brianna turned that into a gnarly arm bar uh, Amy Campo had a couple great submissions of her own, uh, including one over BSM. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one of the cooler matches of the night, Fion versus uh, Giovanna Jara. Giovanna competes at several weight categories heavier than Fion, but Fion just says, no, I'm an ADCC world champion. I'm a veteran here. You're still coming up. Not today. And yeah, yeah put on a real... Um, I wouldn't call it a clinic, right? But it was definitely a, a statement made mm-hmm. in the final couple of minutes of those matches. Uh, final cu- couple of minutes of that match saying, no, I'm here. You're trying to be here. It's not going to happen today. Love to see it. On top of that, Owen Lives, you got a win over Chris Weidman, a oh, man, former so, UFC champion and D1 fun match. All-American wrestler. What would you think about it? Uh, it was just – it's – 
they did exactly what I think all of us wanted to see, mm-hmm. which was, okay, Owen is a decorated Jujoka. Mm-hmm. Chris is a decorated wrestler, UFC veteran. So let's grab. They didn't bring it to the ground very much. They just kind of <laughs> tried to throw each other around. Yeah. And it's it was not one of those like takedown battles that you sometimes see where guys just pop yeah. each other on the it's shoulder, like pop each other on the head. Yeah. It was a... It looked like a wrestling match. Good, yeah. good. Love to see that. Love to see athletes open up. No more anti-wrestling. So We're running out of time here. I do want to get to a couple of results from around the world, starting with the LA Open. Mm-hmm. Several of the athletes that we talked about earlier in the show headed to Pans, uh, ran out to LA, and um, tried to get their feet wet, You know, trying to loosen up for uh, Pans in LA, in Brazil, in London. Um, so let's run through some of those names. I think we have uh, some footage here from Ronaldo uh, doing some work here. In the meantime, let's run through it. Um, Ronaldo, of course, took gold in his division. Mm-hmm. Um, Kevin Carrasco defeated uh, Zach Kaina in the light featherweight division final. Diego, Diego Pato won the featherweight division. So many of the athletes from... Uh, pans are out in LA. Uh, you got a couple more? Man, Janaina beats uh, Amanda Bruce in the lightweight final. She's going to be returning for the lightweight division at Pans. Uh, man, we got a lot of them. We got, uh, let me see. Shout out Pablo Lavaselli. Pablo, mm-hmm. maybe an unsung hero from Argentina, now representing AOJ. Uh, Pablo headed towards the lightweight division at Pans, and I think maybe a little bit slept on. Um, now, him and Jonathan Alves. Probably two of the favorites in that division. Uh, but, yeah, don't lose sight of Pablo Lavaselli. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I want to jump over to the Curitiba Open, where several of the best from Brazil went to also to loosen up a little bit for Pans. Uh, starting with, of course, the Baby Shark. Baby Shark looked great. Took gold in the featherweight division down there, as well as in Nogi the following day. Uh, Eric Muniz also won. Patrick Gaudio won. Uh, Talita Lima. Jessica Dantas. Pedro Alex, who is not registered for Pans, took double gold. Um, yeah, Mauricio Oliveira. Huge showing from some of the Brazilian st- standouts. That's such a yeah. huge uh, like group of names. Yeah. Jesus, man. Yeah. And then last but not least, the AJP London Pro, the uh, the London Grand Slam. Um, several of yeah the, the, the rest of the best athletes from <laughs> yeah. Brazil headed out to London to, uh, to, to collect, of course, Mika Galvao, um, maybe this shouldn't surprise anybody. Mika had four matches. How many submissions did Mika have? I'm going to guess four. It was four, yeah. and the final was <laughs> a 33-second match where he scored a takedown, a pass, and a back-control submission in 33 seconds. Um, you got other results here from London Pro? Yeah, man. Not only was it you know Mika going out there shooting for submissions and getting those victories, but also Mayram got some. He submitted all three of his opponents to win the lightweight division. You got to love that. He's going to be returning for the light featherweight division at Pans. He had Jansen Gomez tearing through the middleweight division. He got two uh, submissions over his opponent, opponents, scored 21 points in three matches. Uh, he's going to be in there at the heavyweight division. Um Gabby Bassania, she yeah. submitted two opponents. Anna Rodriguez defeated two two opponents by submission. Uh, she outscored her opponent in the finals. Uh, yeah, man. Jeez, too many names to count. I want to point out one athlete that I think is going to be very slept on, not just here at AJP despite his winning the light featherweight division, but also at Pans where he entered the roosterweight division. Mm-hmm. Zayed Al-Kathiri. 
Man. Now, maybe not the biggest known name in jiu-jitsu right now, but go back to November, watch the AJP World Pro where he won the division and he beat some really established, really well-known names. Um, I remember, for example, Nathaniel Fernandez was up there. I believe, um, I don't know if it was Jonas Andrade or some of those, you know, uh, long-established Cicero Costa rooster weights, that deadly team of rooster weights down there. I don't remember exactly which ones, but I know there were several of them. Mm-hmm. I think he, uh, at the London Open again, defeated Jonas Andrade in the final. Um, so he's going to have to probably run into Talos and Soares at some point, but don't sleep on Zayed Al-Kathiri. Keep an eye out for him, despite the fact that he is maybe not as well-known a name as some of the others in the rooster weight division. He is going to do well. Yeah, and while he may not be the most well-known name, he may have the coolest name, which is a big props <laughs> to him, right? <laughs> Love it. Uh, a product of um, of Abu Dhabi, right? Mm-hmm. He's, he's a UAE representative, which makes him make, get, makes his story really cool, right? Because for a long time, Abu Dhabi has been hosting you know, some of the best Brazilians, some of the best Americans, some of the best from here and from there, and have been developing the uh, the... Abu Dhabi talent, but Zayed's arrival to winning the World Pro is a sign that, hey, Abu Dhabi Jiu-Jitsu is here. Oh yeah, and, not not just as an organization, but right. homegrown talent. Right. Um, we're running out of time. Let's talk about some of the events upcoming on Flow Grappling this month and next, starting with this weekend in Australia, Subversion Equinox, which in the main event features Ash Williams versus Jeremy Skinner, also some of the uh, some of the other biggest names from Australia, from Europe, from the regions surrounding Australia and Europe. Uh, Going to be a really exciting event. I love this matchup between Ash Williams and Jeremy Skinner, two unsung, unsung heroes in the 145-pound division. Of course, later on this month, Daisy Fresh. Mm. Daisy Fresh Season 3, the final season, is set to return on March 29th. Uh, there will be a lot of supporting content with that event with that episode mm-hmm. around the episode around every episode right because season 10 is season three excuse me season Man. three is a 10 episode long season going to be running from march through just about the end of august lots of incredible stuff i got a couple sneak peeks at the first two episodes of season three and oh, man, really? man where does it start man do we get at that oh like, are we are we gonna where are we doing who's number one championships? Like, what? All right, fair yeah. enough. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's it's incredible. Mm-hmm. I can't wait to share this with the world. Um, Heath and the boys coming in uh, later today. I think they'll be arriving just about now. Uh-oh. We're uh, we're doing some cool stuff with them. Maybe troublemakers. Maybe troublemakers. Uh, maybe fix my game. Uh oh. Stay tuned for that. Um, want to run through the rest of the events coming up on Flow Grappling, including, of course, the end of the month. Uh, Pans, March 21st through 20, uh, 26th. Um, hard to read on the uh, screen. It's hard to read. 
But Subversion Equinox on March 18th. We got IBJJF Pans. We talked quite a bit about that. That's going to be on March 21st through the 26th. Daisy Fresh Season 3 premiere you already went over. We also got Rise Invitational on April 1st. We have Midwest Finishers 13 on April 1st. We got Finishers Subver- Survivor Series 3 on April 18th. And then Brasileros, which is the third part of the Grand Slam season. We're all going to be watching. That's happening on April 29th through May 7th. So, you know, you're definitely going to be watching that if you're watching Pans uh, coming up soon. On top of that, we got Emerald City and we got a few other things coming here. One more, I want to just jump back to uh, Brasileros mm-hmm. because it, for me, that's a really exciting thing that we're able to finally host here on Flow Grappling, right? For years, Brasileros has been streamed on YouTube, but it is now coming to Flow Grappling. Uh, you'll be able to search all of the athletes. You'll be able to watch all the black belt matches live mul- on multiple cameras, multiple angles. Uh, great footage with commentary in English and in Portuguese. Um, it's going to get the star treatment it deserves. This is one of the four major gi tournaments of the year. It deserves to shine like like pans, like euros, like worlds. Uh, it is, yeah. I'm excited that we can finally give this event the attention it deserves here on Flow Grappling. One last thing, I just want to end with this. Um, at Euros, mm-hmm. we talked about that back take, the tie and Dalpra hit. Okay. Right, and we talked about um, how right after that, I saw a, vi- a video of him and that yellow belt Ikaro talking about, okay, here's how to do it. Next time you compete, I want to see you. De- I want to see you try this. Well, check it out. Uh oh, he hit it. Oh no. Oh no! Oh, oh no! What a move! Ekero Moreno, the youngest star from AOJ, the yellow belt sensation. Um, man, <laughs> just can you imagine being 10 years old and getting this, <laughs> getting this shit done to you? Man, yeah, that's kind of demoralizing. But shout out to you know Tynan for just raising a killer. Apparently, yeah. that's so fun to see. It's good to see that it's applicable not only for someone who's on Tynan's level, best in the world in a world, or, you know, on a European championship, but also for the kids. Yeah. Gotta love to see that. <laughs> Do it for the kids. Anyway, that's it for this week's episode of the Grappling Bolton Podcast. Next week, our final thoughts before the Pan Championships, which starts on the 21st. So we will speak with you again on the 20th to roll into Pans. Have a good week, guys. Catch you later.